Hello and welcome back to the fourth episode of the Son I Have Cancer podcast. I am once again joined by my father. Hello. And I am still Sam Ketch. I realise I never introduced myself with that. That is Chris Ketch, uh, who said hello a second ago. Now, this episode was supposed to be about the next steps, what happens next, the future for us both, for obviously for you more so than me. Um, But we've had that altered a bit by the fact that as we covered in the last episode, you weren't seen by the consultant when you were supposed to be. So we can't talk about what's next because we still don't know. Now, that's true. In this episode now, we have to find something uh, to fill the time with. So I suppose there's some things that perhaps people would like i don't know i don't know if people are even listening anymore i don't check the numbers i try and keep that i try and keep that free from the mind so that I, the content is as good as possible but perhaps something people want to think about is i am a 20 year old man now um i've just returned back to university this is the first time we're doing an episode not in the same house it's weird there's no pre- preparation time together there's no discussing what we might talk about there's no sort of seeing each other i mean we text still but it's not as frequent as seeing someone when you pop downstairs for dinner now something people may have to consider that they haven't thought about is that for most people when they reach 20 their parents health is not a concern the you said it before we started so i will pretend this is my thing but they're fixtures they're permanent they're you don't need to be concerned too much about their fragility of their life um now i'm not saying that i sit here every night and cry myself to sleep saying what if it's tomorrow or whatever but it's uh, it certainly is a peculiar thing to know that i have to consider your how alive you are if that makes sense like the the time we have left together um so it's weird to to even discuss it because it's the pair of us not for the first time but it's hard to discuss something like death and um i don't want to make the episode too morbid and make it all about death but perhaps this is a good episode not filler but a good thing to discuss whilst we wait for the next steps is perhaps one another's concerns and worries about what happens next that's an interesting question an interesting theme you've pointed out yes um i think i think i've said before that the risk of being repetitive i certainly hadn't thought of my mortality i'd imagined Growing from a ripe old age, your, your granddad got to 90 something, 95. And I thought, you know, that was probably what I'd have to look forward to. Uh, a quiet deterioration as I sit reading books, watching the telly, waiting for your fame and fortune to come and pay for me to have a holiday in the sun. Um, I don't think, as you say, we don't think about mortality. It's quite odd. That unlike other creatures, we we're aware of it. I don't. I, I'm not sure of my facts anymore because I don't read about death and dying. But I don't think animals are aware that death is part of their existence. So we are are able to contemplate not being, ceasing to be, and um, yeah, it's quite an odd thought. And I. I I hadn't, as I say, really thought about it. And suddenly, a couple of years ago, to suddenly think, oh, what, what, what do I want to do? And people are on bucket lists and those horrible American phrases that are just about consumerism. You know, what big big things do you want to buy before you die? Um, and I don't know. It really is odd. I don't have a faith. I can't share that with you. We can't go for a bicycle ride into the countryside and nip into some church 
do some brass rubbings on some tombstone and contemplate uh, ever, the everlasting afterlife. Um, so that's a comfort and a call and a consolation, I think. I think probably people who have faith are probably more prepared for that sort of thing. Um, and it would be pretty, let's be honest with you, I wouldn't use thinking, oh God, it might end tomorrow. And I guess part of, we've talked about COVID before, one of the things that's demonstrated to us is how fragile and random life is. Certainly in the developed world, we're quite removed from the, the random nature of, of, of events and what happens to us. So, hmm. so yes, so do I, uh, do I think about, do I think about how it ends? Um, well, there are some scientific things that give me clues to how it might end. Um, and I try and avoid those things because that is the, the fact that it's an illness and it, you become ill and more ill and you're in pain and you're given medication that clouds your judgment and things. Um, I think it's going to talk about living a life of quality, living a life that is um, not just fulfilling, but one way you, you don't have, um, I don't know. There's a dreadful song you will avoid at all times that drunk men sing of my way, usually of a certain age and a certain fascination in Frank Sinatra. And in that is regrets. Well, I have a few, but I think that's the thing to have regrets, but not remorse. Mm. I think um, if you, you live full of remorse or have remorseful feelings, it's, uh, it's, that's just going to torture you, something terrible. The um, behavioural psychologist and theorist Skinner suggests that as you go older, it's wisdom versus despair that you suddenly find an understanding of life in the abstract and your own life and the life you've lived and the choices you've made. And in understanding that, you, you settle and come to some sort of um, reconciliation with yourself. And I realise as I say those things, you're thinking, what bollocks, reconciliation with yourself, what's he talking about? But as you grow older, there's times you, you make choices and you make choices or you, you act in a certain way or you behave in a certain way and to people around you, it may appear in a certain light that you value certain things, that the, the rationale for your actions is, is one thing, but actually deep inside it's something else. And that, that lack of um, understanding from others. And also being clear to yourself. I know we've talked occasionally about music and about performers, artists who when you listen to them you think what they're saying they, um, but the voice they communicate with is to, to use a, a word from existentialism, authentic um, I'm so sat here trying to think of a piece of music or something that we both have Up in my head johnny cash hurt johnny cash hurt yes yeah. great mind sink alike you see yes johnny cash hurt or any of the johnny cash renditions towards the end of his life on the americana I mean, there's four volumes american americana and they are 
not necessarily songs you'd associated with him when he was younger, but his rendition of them. So Hurt, One, the um, SE2 thing, and Personal Jesus are all songs which the artist and the lyric didn't write them, but he conveys them. You believe that he is telling you something from his own psyche. I have a feeling that Hurt is going to be um, the, the next my way, um, the next thing people find is, um, is a, a, there must be a word, it's late in the day and I cannot find it, but there must be a piece of music or symbolism that people hold on to because it is for them a talisman. It's their, um, their go-to, this is what it's like to be me, and this is how I've tried to live my life. So yes, I think very much that as I sit where I am now, or stretch out where I stretch out now, it's very much, so I'm thinking, oh, um, Mm -hmm. Bits of poetry, I guess, would be another one. Which would probably, we wouldn't have one in common, would we? And I'd be no. deeply, deeply worryingly, given that you are a, an English expert who's correct. No, I study journalism. Um, I wouldn't now, describe that as an expert. Oh, I would. You're, you're an expert. Mm. Sorry, I'm from home. I've yeah, talked too much I, I, off. no, I, I, uh, I wondered where you were going um, with the, the, the line. I got lost in my, were, in my own erudition. Yeah, there was nothing really in there. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, it, it's a fascinating look into the psyche of yourself. But <laughs> we, we were talking about just you know what we both worry about during this next whilst we haven't you about? well you know i think i think people naturally do think you don't you're very good at it but i think people naturally do think about the worst case scenario stuff um i know that we just dis we discussed it in the last episode where the cancer is heading are three very nasty horrible types of cancer that you know, ultimately, everyone knows someone who has had someone in their life experience it um, because, unfortunately, it is something that is rife. And I don't know if that's maybe a nasty way of saying it, but it is a, a common thing now is for people to know someone who has had one of the nastiest and the worst forms of cancer and um yeah i i think people will naturally agree with me that we're father and son um so it would be wrong for me to not think about the worst case scenario not think about the fact that where that cancer is spreading to is not not good signs it's not it was never going to be, hurrah, he's beaten cancer. It's all free. And, you know, you see the videos of, I know American hospitals do it. I don't know if they do it in this country where they ring the bell and the cancer patient walks free from the hospital. But it was never going to be like that because it was always, you know, going to spread. Once we knew that, at least coming to grips with the fact that it has was easier. If it had just been, you're free, and then a month later, oh my God, sorry, you've got breast cancer. I don't know why I said breast cancer. I meant bone cancer. Um, but you get my point. If it had been that sudden and sharp and unexpected, it would have been far more difficult to cope with. So, you know, the the natural things to fear about are how long you have left, you know, how much we have to experience it, secondhand experience of the treatment, the pain, the suffering 
through what comes next. And, you know, at the same time, then also things like, well, am I doing the right thing by talking about, you know, doing a master's when I've finished uni? And am I doing the right thing when I talk about taking a year out after uni to go and instead of going into work or instead of, you know, desperately trying to achieve these big ambitions that you want for me have been famous, successful, you know, excellent journalist who's on the TV, on the radio, in the papers, constantly, you know, being heralded as excellent. Is it right for me to throw those things further down the line to do selfish things like go and travel again when the coronavirus allows? And, you know, I have to think about if it is bad, if because we we can't make an episode talking about what you know predictions this isn't a football podcast but we don't know what's going to be said to in that consultation meeting I have to think about you know if it is the worst case scenario what am I going to do because already there's talk of keeping university students in their homes and not letting them go go back for Christmas and stuff and there's obviously the fact that it's online makes it an easier decision to basically say Mum, if you were to get the news that it was bad, Mum, get me back. I want to spend time with Dad, you know, if we don't have long. Whereas, you know, other people don't have, even have that thing to think about. They get to think of, well, do I want to go home? Am I more likely to be successful and hardworking when I'm at home or at uni? They have those considerations. For me, it was a consideration, especially first lockdown of, right, well, Everyone else has gone home already, so I'm going to. But also, I suppose, because it was very much second thought at the time, I suppose I should spend time with my family. It's not like we don't, we've never spent a lot of time together as a family, but we're certainly not, you know, constantly going off and doing day to day hobbies and stuff together. So I don't know. It's hard to do an episode like this where you don't have something set you can talk about because we've spoken about all of the prostate cancer experience thus far and now we're sort of in the bridge waiting for what comes next yeah we can talk about what i worry about but i don't think people listening are overly fussed about the fact that naturally as your son i worry about the fact you could die and we haven't spent enough time together um or the fact that I worry about, you know, making sure you have the kind of exit that you want, the ability to sit back, read books, watch films all day. Because there's a there's a big demand, not on me to make that possible for you, but on everyone around you to make sure that you're not in a position where you feel like you have to keep working or you have to keep doing chores or you have to keep doing this, that. And, you know, I think we both know and whether the general public know it it is another thing and it's, you know, but your mentality has never been for, you know, a hero's send off and you don't want the, the flags, like flags parade, everything like that. You don't want to be big confetti. You'd rather it was a, sort of, you know, you'd rather not, how, how to say this, that's horrible, but you don't want to drag out the experience of the people around you because I think everyone knows that the longer something like that, when you know it's so difficult to keep going as people around it because you just know that it doesn't matter how many good days there are at any random moment, if it's a long, drawn-out process, you're going to experience grief just topping up day by day because the person you love the person who's dying is getting progressively worse but not deceased and you're having to watch them deal with being worse and worse their body failing them it's this is a very tough episode to do i'm sure people can consolidate with the fact that while we don't have any news there's there's only really what comes to mind to speak about I guess that serendipity, that sort of odd taking stock and just looking at things is 
Because it probably makes it an interesting, interesting episode. It's, it's not very much, I think, how one of the things in the developed world, one of the things we seem to have lost sight of in some ways is how people die, that whole process. And that there's a whole lot of sort of themes that run through my mind. When I would have conversations with my parents, your, your grandparents, you know, your, your grandmother in particular would talk about um, people having a dead relative return to the, the, the family home in their coffin and they'd be there on, on display, for want of a better phrase, the night before the funeral. And people used to go around and pay their respects. That's not something I've, I've ever experienced. If you think, although I'd had friends and acquaintances die I wasn't until your grandmother's death that I actually had that experience of going into the undertakers seeing a dead person and it is it's quite odd because we've now managed to if if you'd like me to go off and be all political and sociological we've actually created even more alienation in our world of capitalism between the experience of people dying and the whole marketable experience of a funeral where people are taken away and there's an entire business opportunity for someone and i'm sure that where i'm far more intellectually gifted i could uh, develop that as an interesting idea but unfortunately um my my abilities to do sociological things are a bit a bit hampered at the moment i'm a bit tired um and some of the other things you said are interesting too, how I, I would not want you to not live the life you planned on living because suddenly there's this uh, drama in my life. Your life is somewhere else and you should go off and live that life. And there's, any, there's a whole lot of things we get from media novels, films, plays around uh, people dying and people dealing with that death and we, we induce guilt into people and a variety of things about what we should or shouldn't do you know, the, the last big adventure between father and son or mother and daughter or husband and wife the big holiday and things there's, there's a whole lot of people who don't get to do those things because the end of their life is unexpected, um, random, the accident, the car crash that happens. And I wouldn't want you to think, oh, you know, you said some things about me wanting you to, to have this great achievement. I think what I'd want for you is what I'd want for anyone is that they find some degree of fulfillment they're able to live their lives with some degree of contentment that they they don't spend their times fretting about things and that they they are able to oh god it's dreadfully corny it is that bit about they find time to accept themselves and they find people to spend their lives with if you, if you want to be really, really corny, it's that to to love others and to love themselves. But that sounds far too tr trite. But I'm afraid it's one of the best I can do at the moment. Um, I think the other thing I'd say is you cannot live your life through the prism of other people's perceptions of, of how to live life it would be super duper if we were a sort of family that had done all sorts of shit together um i don't know you and i shared a football team or a love of know, camping or fishing or all those things people go up and do together and bond together but we don't we do different things and so our bonding is is 
is different, but it doesn't mean there aren't those moments of random connection, such as when both of us think of Johnny Cash's rendition of Hurt, and each of us would show off to the other, demonstrating our knowledge of Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails and a whole lot of other things. So, huh, I don't know more than this, I'm not superficial. Um, oh, what would I want for you? I wouldn't want you to come home and sit around watching me. I'd want you to go off. I don't think I'd want you to go off traveling and that's more because of COVID, but also because I think yeah, traveling with a rucksack on your back isn't the way to travel. You should be in a position to travel first class and have other people carry your luggage for you. I didn't say I was going to go off with a rucksack. Also, I don't think having people carry your stuff around for you is uh, particularly particularly PC anymore. Hey, I'm the one who's got cancer, so I can turn around and want people to carry my bags. Now that's wasted on anyone but you and me, because that's Archer, as I remember. Yes. Justifying his self-obsessed and narcissistic behaviour. It's yeah. It's um, it was one of those. This is a weird time to bring it up because the episode about it was so so many minutes ago. But that was one of the best episodes of TV we've ever watched together. I think because we were we were still both dealing with you being diagnosed with cancer, you being sat at home all day dealing with cancer differently. That suddenly an episode of the show we're watching that you know we we, let's not say we were overly engaged with it we both enjoyed it i think we both liked the show but neither of us particularly sort of sat there and said this is the best thing ever but suddenly an episode comes on where he gets Misdiagnosed. I can't even remember how it ends anymore. You know, I, 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 oh, it twisted so remember. many times. It's one of those programs I cannot remember. Obviously, for me, I liked all the iconography of the 1960s. I liked all of that spy crap. And you liked it for whole lots of postmodern and youthful reasons. I liked but it I for the it... spy and 1960s side of it. Thank you. Well, I thought you liked all the wit and banter and cross-references about the modern world. Yeah, well, how a James yeah. Bond figure would be quite anachronistic in uh, the 21st century world and is reduced to just being a, a narcissist. And, um, yeah. And who, 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 could, who can help but fault that? That's, that's something we should all just aspire to at times. But, yeah, that episode was... Tongue-in-cheek. That episode was, yeah, you're always tongue-in-cheek. There's no need to, to, to add that. But that episode was was fun because I think the amount of times we both sort of leaned forward and pointed at one another and sort of jested that that was how one another I behaved. I could have been doing that. Yeah, well, I could have turned around and lived my life by justifying bad behaviour by producing a get-out-of-jail-free <laughs> card. But I don't know what it would have on it. A cellular type structure. Yeah, probably a yeah. I have cancer in the cell. Not to be confused with a coronavirus. So. Get out of jail free card. Yeah. Hmm. Um we do seem to be rambling a bit, and I'm sorry I usually try No, to I feel like this that, pro- but... this episode probably yeah. didn't need to be another hour long one because I think it's important for us to just explain why why there's not you know the news to share and i suppose we have touched on some things that maybe would have stayed until the end of well, let's not do you really feel pressured to do things around no 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 i don't feel pressured to do things like in terms of i don't feel pressured to have to come back home and see you and there's never a have to or must or anything like that there's never the pressure to change what i'm doing the the the, but that's because we don't know what's next as much as i keep saying it in some sort of like elusive next episode stuff it's very much a case of i actually don't know what's next and therefore can't decide or don't know how our relationship how 
we experience life will change because until I know the mortality rate and the likelihood that it is mm. going to be worse, you know, I can't, I can't make these things of, you know, the doctor isn't going to turn around to you. It's not TV. It's not, you know, the media loves to do this, but the doctor's not going to turn around to you and say, you have five years left to live. And I have to then suddenly rush around and, you know, montage style have done 20 years worth of stuff with you in five. It's, it's very much a case of, I will, you know, not know how long you have. And therefore I will try and do things with you that we've wanted to do or that we should have done or, you know, we will just do stuff that is, you know, important to do father and son wise. And whether that's stuff that people did when they were 10 and they'll look at us and think, wow, they're all too old to be doing that or stuff that we shouldn't be doing, at, you know, whether we should be doing we're a lot older, like, you know, can't think of any examples, but yeah, my point, I will live my life no differently. I'll still try and be a, exemplary journalist who you know stuns everybody and wows them all top of the field Harold the, Evans. yeah passed away 90 something mm. but you, you get my point is that mm. i will still try and be remembered in that same way i'll still try and be as widely regarded as harold evans was um so that when i pass away hopefully at a big age like 90 something yeah um yeah, it's just as important for people to celebrate my life. There's no guarantees on that. There's never any guarantees uh, on how long you'll live and what legacy you'll leave behind. But those are things you can't, you know, manage. I think, I think one of the things for me is, and I guess it's my relationship with Grandad, it's how those things play out, I think. So unlike your, your, your uncle who, who left the city and went off to make his fortune in another city. I worked through a whole lot of those um, questions and, 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 th- and if you, you, you're using the word montage, I think I'll use the word trope. And turn around and say the, the things we all have which we've learned from the media about how relationships work and things and how we work through it. But who I am is very much about my relationship with your granddad and who you are is very much your relationship with me and how we define ourselves and the struggles and arguments and the, the falling outs and the coming backs together that we have that define who we are as individuals as we work through in our own minds and in our own hearts, the, that definition of who we are as an individual, who we who we feel we are and who we want to be. So because I stayed around here, your granddad and I, I there's a perception because I looked after him towards the end of his, his life long with your, your auntie, had some sort of significant moments and there are people I work with and there are people in the business of, of social care uh, and mental health who say things that suggest we had this like uh, really significant bond yet in many there are times in the however many years he and I were bouncing around one another when we didn't get on when we weren't in speaking terms but working those things through in my mind was part of my growing up and my perception of him as a father and as a man and in all of the roles and responsibilities he fulfilled changed at different times and I think my looking after him was more about me than necessarily about him. Um, I don't think he had as much as I'd like to kid myself, he had. I don't think he had an improved life because I was turning up every tea time. I think there are times towards, well, definitely after your grandmother died when 
I did half the week, your auntie did the other half the week. It must have been very frustrating for him. It certainly wasn't the significance I had hoped it would have had. But in learning that and working that out with him, and we used to have the sort of random conversation, this is where one of us would talk into the space and the other one would listen. We'd work out some sort of um, reconciliation makes it sound some bit We would work out who we both were and how we found out, you know, the things we had in common that we never knew we had in common. Yeah. And that's, that's quite important because for your uncle, he did that at, a, at arm's length. Um, he did that, used to be through letters, used to be through the old visit and then long phone calls but i don't think one of us has a a better relationship or had a more intense relationship with your, your granddad i just think you've got to go where your life takes you you've got to go where your ambition and your dreams take you and part of that is letting go of some of the anchors we used to have we, we have a thing around family and connections and things which is really quite odd because i'm not sure when it became such a thing because if you think part of our heritage is as, as englishmen is, a, is an empire corrupted the world for a long time but people would go away from their homes and live in other people's countries and often never see their families again yeah. and you, you, you'd have you know, this idea, and, and I'm very intrigued in the idea of family, and again, that's probably the sociologist and the social worker in me. Yeah. Why we have a perception of certain groups in society in a certain way, we, we, we play with the idea of family, so even people who have got different sexual orientations will suddenly turn around and I'm talking about having a family. But the risk of being a real tosspot bit of a prick, the, the whole idea of family is just a construct, you know? The, what you and I do together isn't going to be measured or judged or things. And you can't not do stuff because I've got an illness. It'd be like saying, oh, I can't do it because the old bugger's going to drop off the mortal coil somewhere before me. Therefore, I'll... I'll park things. And I think there's a whole pressure on people to live their lives in a certain way. Not because of some coercive big brother martial law sort of thing, but it's because the people who, who hold power in, in the world we live in, in the society we live in, would quite like us to live our lives in a certain way. And when I say that, it sounds like I'm talking about a man in a top hat and a twirly moustache or some dodgy cleric in Rome. I'm not, I'm just talking about how there are ideas that become overpowering for the individual and how we live our lives ceases to be around who we are and who we feel we are and the relationship we have with others. But it's something that's measured. And, and media is a dreadful thing. Hollywood is a dreadful thing for giving people metaphors when I was, God, yes, roughly your age, there was a film, and it still comes out, and I think I'm now at a point in my life where I'm going to be affected by its maudlinness, called On Golden Pond, in which the actor Henry Fonda, who was um, traditional conservative of a small C, American archetype of um, Steinbeck's working man, Bruce Springsteen's working man, that sort of, the Jord family from uh, Grapes of Wrath? I think it might be. Um, those are some characters he played. His daughter, Jane Fonda, who you will discover in your interest in the Vietnam War, suddenly abandoned all of those traditional things and became, well, to a lot of Americans, she was known as Hanoi Jane because she became an anti-war campaigner and a pro-Vietnamese person. Yes, let's, let's, let's avoid the whole Jane Fonda stuff. 
I am actually familiar with Jane Fonda. I'm very familiar That's with good, the fact she but turned not up. In, is. I'm very familiar um, with the fact she turned up in North Vietnam with her camera with the film crews following her around and she was showing people what it was like for the communists in North Vietnam. It's not, not what? it's not it's not a challenge, Chris. You don't have to you don't have to exert your knowledge just because you lived through those times. Oh indeed, didn't I? I'm much older than I pretend. But the point I was gonna make was the two of them come together in this film about a father and daughter having some reconciliation and people saw echoes of their own reconciliation and for years this film was sort of ruled out as this is how and then in the end it's not how people live their lives it's how prosperous and affluent middle-class americans would live their lives if you have enough money to have a summer house on a boating lake somewhere so for me as a a northern person to say, you know, although there are gender differences, your granddad and I worked out our differences the way Jane and Henry Fonda did. But the bollocks, we worked out our differences between ourselves and defining ourselves the way a man who'd grown up in rural Wiltshire between the wars, who'd had the experience of his mind being opened by the war because he got out of this country, he'd gone to Egypt. He'd seen other places and then had his mind shut by coming back to this country and working in a job which, although he never complained about it, I think must have really left him feeling very miserable and frustrated. He was a man who waited till he left work and retired to do his degree. And the, the odd moments when he and I had conversations that were my, to use a bloody awful phrase, Jahari window, your insight into another person, um, what, what's going on behind the shutters. And I remember when he got his degree, he was 72, and it, was, it wasn't like you and I do, young man. It was a proper degree where you had to write essays, longhand, in exams for hours as an end. And... Um, I was secretly quite chuffed with him because having a dad of 72 who's gone off and done a degree in archaeology is, is not something many people can, can boast about. You see, I was always vicarious in my uh, successes. And I remember the Friday and I went round after work as I used to do, so I didn't have to go and see them on my weekends. And he was sat on his own, your, your grandma was out doing something. And I said, oh, well done, I've had... Yeah, yeah. Marjorie said, you've, you've got the letter, you've passed, and uh, great thing. He said, do you know, he said, I'm just left thinking how my life would have been different if I had taken this exam 50 years ago. How would I have lived differently? So I made all of the, the patronising noises middle-class people make to working-class people who've gone off and got an education. And he just said, uh, all these people who... I know through archaeology in the museums who are encouraging me and saying what an amazing thing it is. I haven't learned anymore. All I've learned to do is write the essays. I had the knowledge I had around history. And I've suddenly managed to bring it into a, a recognised qualification, but it doesn't mean that I've learned anymore. And I was really taken aback, not he wasn't bitter, he was just pointing something out that he'd had the knowledge he had of archaeology, of Roman Britain, of Anglo-Saxon Britain, of medieval Britain, and how people had lived. He'd had it in his head for years, and he was probably, people would listen to him, and some bloke who knows a bit about history, Suddenly he gets a degree in archaeology and his opinions have gone up a notch or two. There's the, uh, not just the opinions of an old man who's read a book, the, a man who can formally turn around and tell you what's in the book. And in those moments I was really cut adrift for a while because I thought, what a great success. And to suddenly see for him, yes, it was a success, but it was also just a sense of how he hadn't lived the life he'd wanted to live. And so for me, what I would always want to pass on to you is that you do do the things you want to do and you do uh, give you the opportunity to do the things. And 
if you think you've you've got a cousin who's a very successful civil servant that's not i think what she wanted out to be but the idea that she's been able to contribute to society that she's actually had some control over her life and some success that not all of us have and even when i say that you know that's an external view and internally there might be all sorts of things going on that i'm not aware of and i think that always comes back to me because of your uncle because of people who have abilities and skills i'm quite envious of and i think somehow some of it's genetic because you've got it he's a perfectionist but he's also one of those people who if something's going to be done he's going to do it himself he'll go and read up about it he'll learn how to be a bricklayer or a plumber and then he'll go up and do those things and if you think he most memorably and you must never do this when he did his degree there were three papers and he missed one of the papers because he got drunk the night before and missed the exam and when he was at university people did stupid things I'm not talking about eating mushrooms and LSD, but I'm talking about really stupid things like le drinking alcohol stolen from the science labs, watered down with orange juice and water to make it uh, less harmful. Well, I think uh, that is a stupid thing to do. But he he left university with a 2-1, even having missed his um, one paper. The academics were very sort of, you know, you, you could have done more. Because he had a family, he had to get a job, he went to work in the motor industry. And uh, you, you've been there, you, you, your aunt still doesn't get on with him, but even she tells the story of when the, the Roots company was taken over by, I think, God, who was it? Chrysler, Saab, um, Peugeot, a whole bunch of um, companies taking over one another in the 1970s, early 80s. He did get to nip across to Paris in a pair show with his boss and have the sort of senior management things that I think he really loved because mechanics and making things was a lot to him. When that industry came to an end in the West Midlands and he retrained as a teacher, he he was never as happy because he he made a living as a teacher, but I don't think he liked it. I don't think it was his uh, his metier. And I think when he had his, his his nervous breakdown through teaching, a lot of that was due to the fact that he was living a, a life that wasn't the one he wanted to live. And so whether that's being a mental health worker or the family I've grown up with, one of the things for you is that as long as you're not completely impoverished and forced to go busking, because I've heard you sing, um, I, I'd much rather you went off and had a fulfilling life. And I think that might be something that you'll find is universal. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I, I wasn't expecting digs at my ability to sing or to learn so much about my own yeah, family. I've heard you singing. Okay. And I've heard you singing. I've never sing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I've still heard you. You try and hide it. I hear it. Don't worry. I won't expose yeah. you. Got a voice like a dying goat. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's... It's very tough to talk about the future when, you know so much of it is unconfirmed uh, we've had the conversation countless times about the fact I know going into journalism is tough a very difficult field to break into especially when you specialize in journalism broadcast obviously for myself but for all of all of the house I live with now are all journalism students three of us multimedia two of us broadcast it's going to be difficult for all five of us if you think about that's five people in one house who will be applying for the same job at some time, possibly. Then you add in everyone else on just broadcast journalism. You talk about 120 people in just my year, another 120 doing multimedia, plus all of the ones who do it with PR, 
there's suddenly 350 people, let's say, from one university year group, just one university, just one year group going for similar jobs um, or the same job. And so, as I say, I know I have to specialize. What I specialize in history, probably most likely when I do a master's. But as I say, it could be a case that, you know, it's not, as as I say, it's not like the media portray it. You're not going to turn around to me and say the doctor's said I've only got 72 hours and we have to cram it in and make it into a film. Um, realistically, we find out in, when is the phone consultation? It's now the 12th of October. And according okay. to the online sites, they're 43 weeks behind in their treatment. So as it carries on, it might build to be 52 weeks. So realistically, there is no confirmed end to this. We're talking about something that could be next year by the time you find out. We, when we could getting... be doing this, maybe not once a week, but we could be keeping doing this for, for months, I'm running into years. Mm. just every episode going back and saying, still not heard anything and then just ending it very quickly but no, it, that gives me the perfect time to say that we will be taking not a not a series break but perhaps oh, well, yeah, call it a series break we're going to have a pause between episode 4 and 5 because I think not only will we run out of things to talk about if we try and do three weeks worth of episodes it, uh, without anything to discuss because there won't be any updates on what kind of cancer you've got or what kind of treatment you need or anything like that in the next three weeks. It would make more sense for our catch-ups if we choose to still ring each other and talk for an hour like this. It makes sense for us to have at least some time to chat and not do podcast stuff. So... Yeah, between this episode and the next one, there'll be a couple of weeks. Just being sensible. Well, you go and get drunk and break the COVID rules. No, 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 no. You're not going to do that. You're going to. I'm a very, I'm a very, I'm a very good boy. I will stick to my group of six, and I'll stick to leaving pubs at ten o'clock. Thank you. A Boris boy. I'm not a Boris boy. Let's not start these accusations, please. But yeah, as I say. We we can't do an episode every week when there's nothing to talk about. This episode was necessary. Demonstrated that. Yes, it did. Uh, I, I think this episode's been all right. We've talked about a lot of interesting stuff. I think I was going to get back to what I was saying earlier, but I've forgotten what I started. Um, but yeah, it, it was just important to clarify that when you see the break between this episode and the next, let's call it a series break because, you know, Let's call it the winter break for football fans. Although this is the winter break coming up, and we'll be back for the second half of the season um, to finish off. Basically, talking about. Will the about, fans get in to see us? I don't think so. They'll have to stay home and watch on BT, Sky, Amazon, and BBC. But uh, and when we finish, is Gary Lineker going to pass comment on us? No, because he's a presenter, not an analyst. So maybe Alan Shearer. Again, I don't know why we're doing this. You don't like football. So I could have said any name there and you could have gone, hmm, no, yes. you, you, you said the two I know. Oh. Alan Shearer. So that's pretty you know, you know, You know Ian Wright. Yeah, yeah, it's true, true. You see, you just saved both of us the embarrassment of me attempting to do my Alan Shearer impression. Yes, thank God. Um but yeah, as I say, we're, there's going to be a break, break, break between this episode and the next one, just to allow us some time to, you know, think of things to talk about for future episodes, but also to actually get some news in and to know what we need to talk about in future. Um, feel free, if you know us, to tell us what you want us to talk about. Um, if you don't know us, then I don't know how you're going to do this. I think on Anchor, on the website that hosts this series, you can send voice messages to us uh, that we can play, I think, weirdly. Um, <laughs> we can play them in the episode and answer them. Um, that's not something I've 
thought about before, but yeah, that is possible. Something I might incorporate uh, into future endeavours I go down as a journalist. But yeah, I mean, let's not let's not lie to ourselves. We're 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 in a situation in which we don't know what the future holds for us. Um, I can't pretend that I won't make some decisions with my life that will be entirely based around you know making sure that at the drop of a hat I can come back and see you you know you hear so many examples and I won't bring in the Simon and Phil stuff because I think it's unfair on him and everyone else in that story but you know as I've said before I don't want to be like that where I miss the news and get there late and I don't get to see you um but in the reverse you think about something like the Jeremy Clarkson one where he's driving around the 9-11 talking about the time that he was driving test driving one for Top Gear and got the call from his mum to say his dad was unwell in Sheffield and he was in London and so he bombed it down the motorway doing I think he said he did an illegal speed 100 miles an hour made it in time to see his dad and if he hadn't been driving the 9-11 he didn't think he'd be making it back you know there's two ways about thinking of it you know Simon is not at fault for missing it Clarkson's not to be praised for making it there's no you know but I think there will be some decisions where I'll think yeah I need to you know maybe not take that job in Central African Republic versus you know staying and doing something that's not in journalism you know say it was a job reporting on Africa for the BBC just off the top of my head would I take it knowing that I would miss anything important back home if if I did because you know Zoom is all well and good for your pub quizzes during uh, during lockdown but it's not quite the same for speaking to your family um, in important moments I think that's something we can all anyone who's used Zoom can agree with me there um but yeah i think we've talked enough about death and how we're going to experience it together haven't we i think we're uh are we are we content with saying that that was episode four and that yes the next yes, episode will be in a few we'll weeks be in time. a few weeks or months depending how well let's let's hope time. let's hope it's october the 12th for your consultation we will then meet up again um, for a... Via the joys of technology. Yes, for a chinwag and we'll discuss... Yes, that's an old-fashioned phrase, chinwag. Yeah. Well, I, I I didn't know if it would be a chinwag because I think that's more of a informal sitting back, cup of tea or pint down the pub and, you know, discussing things that are... Um, but yeah, if... Uh, before I let you say your goodbyes, for anyone who's listening, um, I think you will appreciate me doing this, not because it's uh, anything to do with our podcast, but because it's to do with my own thing. Uh, we, as a, I, as a, as a journalist, do have stuff going on. Um, so I also have, most people listening, I think will know us and will know this. I do have a podcast called The Art Of Podcast in which I interview people about their life, careers, experiences, etc. Uh, I did an episode recently with a guy called Dev Bajwa who's releasing a book uh, tomorrow morning as we record this. Actually today as it comes out. Uh, I have an interview with a guy called Adam Hurry, football, Mr. Football Clichés. Uh, that's going to go live on Monday. Friday if releases properly Monday. It'll come out that interview with him. Uh, there's plenty more things planned, plenty of other people who have been asked and who are asking me weirdly nowadays. Um, some guy, this was an interesting one, uh, some guy in America, business CEO, uh, his PA emailed me and this was a guy who had set up a health insurance company uh, called Decent. Um, because he had a, I think he ended up being diagnosed with a life, uh, like a terminal illness. 
he's like in his 30s at the time and so he realizes that he needs to get a job with good healthcare so he goes and works for amazon and then a decade later he decides well why why doesn't every and that's after a decade later all the other stuff in between like other jobs and whatever other companies and he was basically i haven't spoken to this guy yet but it sounds like basically what he did was um set up a company giving people good health care or health insurance because american economy can't handle universal health care um and so yeah he he has inquired about potentially doing something so yeah there's cool stuff going on i also have my own blog football stuff's going to go up on it and 251 which is a bit of a failed venture between me and a friend from university which i'm going to kick start again so anyone with their eyes on the u.s election can find some mind numbling not mind numbingly i'm going to keep that in to show you i'm a human mind numbingly uh boring excellent coverage of the u.s election that you can't find anywhere else because i don't have any bosses to answer to and i'm a very good journalist who doesn't mind putting his opinion in with some facts so there will be pieces on that on 251 that's uh spelled out 251 all is one word um yeah that i wanted to stick that in at the end of the episode i feel like because we're not gonna be here for a while people can keep up to date with me at least whilst you go back to a life of normality semi-normality you'll still be you know in lockdown soon so uh, i'm gonna do what we always do dad it's over to you to say goodbye Auf Wiedersehen.